0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, I'll give you a moment just to reach for your Bible again there as we focus in on this passage in Hebrews chapter 7 today in the fourth in our series entitled Among Us. Today, thinking about the fact that Jesus prays for us. The great thrust of these Sunday morning sermons at the start of 2021 has been that we have a saviour who has been among us. That in Jesus Christ we have one who has walked where we walk, been tempted as we have, and even shares in the pain of our sufferings. And whilst we celebrate Jesus' earthly work, living a life of obedience that we have failed to live dying the death that we deserve to die, bearing our sin on his shoulders, rising again that we might be raised and justified, we say that this is Jesus' work among us. But many of us might say, having worked among us and walked among us, how, now that he's been taken from, of us, from us, we don't see him face to face you know, some people have this kind of argument, you know, well, we are down here, and well, he is up there somewhere, comfortable and secure in heaven. His saving work is done. Is Jesus now in some kind of spiritual retirement? Surely with all these years away from earth, Jesus must have lost touch. Can he really understand us? I think it would be fair to say that we can all recite what Jesus has done. But are we familiar with what Jesus is doing right now? Our key verses for today are Hebrews 7, verses 24 and 25. Let me read those again for us. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You see, we are so time-bound. We are confined to minutes and hours and years. Physically, we can only be in one place at one time. And even in terms of influence with good health and determination, we can maybe give anything from 30 to 65 years of hard work in our jobs or chosen profession. Although I know that the farmers out there are probably screaming at the TV screen saying, Oh, I never retire. Farmers never retire. But you know, there will be a moment. Illness, circumstances, caring for yourself or others, competing demands of home life and family, accident or incident, in a moment, everything can change. Our current Queen Elizabeth II has had 14 prime ministers serve under her. And the relationships she had with them has ranged from Winston Churchill whom she regarded as a kindly old uncle, to the Sir Alex Douglas Hume with whom she shared a love for dogs and Scottish estates, whilst her relationship with Sir Edward Heath was described as rather frosty And for Margaret Thatcher, who reportedly found the traditional Prime Minister's September weekend in Balmoral Castle in Scotland, totally painful. One observer wrote, a weekend in the country with aristocrats who enjoy riding and shooting and sports and games is Thatcher's idea of absolute torture. But most recently, the Queen was said to be very sad at the demise of Theresa May. And time doesn't allow me this morning to cover what good old Liz thinks of Boris. But the point is this, prime ministers come and go, as do school principals and ministers and bosses and head of departments and consultants and managers and coaches and sports stars and singers. They all have their time, and even family members and friendships come and go. Some are admired. And loved or missed more than others. But the one thing we do note that stands Jesus apart from all the rest is Jesus is a permanent Savior. Jesus is a permanent Savior. Look at verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. You can read the rest of Hebrews 7 for yourselves later. It's a chapter that compares Jesus' permanence with the continual passing of the Old Testament priests from one generation to the next. The main point being priests come and go, but Jesus, our great high priest, lives forever. For you see, Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not Levi, we read back in verse 11. And for those of you who know your Old Testaments well, Aaron was appointed to be the first high priest over Israel to serve in the tabernacle and oversee the worship of God. In fact, we were looking at that last Sunday night in the book of Leviticus. He entered into God's presence once a year on behalf of the people on the great day of atonement. And it was always to be a priest, a high priest in the line of Levi who were called to serve in that position, passing the responsibility from one generation to the next. But inevitably, every few years, a new high priest died, and another one was appointed in his place. But Melchizedek was a mystery man who appears out of nowhere to bless Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 14. He's described there as a priest of God Most High, and we know next to nothing about him. At a crucial juncture in the story of Abraham, this man who was a priest, and we're also told that he was a king, blesses God's people. And look what Hebrews 7, verse 3 says. If you have your Bibles still, just flick back a few verses. Hebrews 7, verse 3 says, Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. He, he was a complete mystery man. But he was a permanent priest. He was someone who resembled Jesus. And he wasn't one of the Levites. And you see, Jesus is more like Melchizedek, than one of Aaron's descendants. Why? Because, well, Jesus is a priest. But he's a priest who didn't just bring a sacrifice to the altar. Jesus was the sacrifice on the altar. We also read that Jesus is a king one who is righteous in all his ways, who brings peace and blessing and brings a new kingdom that that, that crosses every sea border or land border. Jesus is king of his kingdom wherever it stretches across this globe. But unlike Melchizedek, we know where Jesus comes from, and we also know where Jesus is now. Jesus was one without beginning of e- days, and yet he knows what it is to see his life ebb away. Isn't that incredible? We have someone who we know is immortal, but yet he lived as immortal and died on a cross, the giver of life, giving his life. That's why I find that first praise song that we sang this morning, so God the Uncreated One, and yet we read was betrayed by a traitor's kiss. He, he died on a Roman cross. Jesus, God in human flesh, knows what it is to die. But we also know that Jesus is a Father in heaven, but he also became a Son on earth with Mary as His human mother, which connects us as saved sinners here on earth with our divine human Savior. One of the things I noticed, first of all, when I moved to Mackerfeld and began serving in Le Comfort, noticed how many people were related to one another. And anyone new into our church family has often commented to me that everyone seems to be related in some way. We all know who our cousins are second. And some of you have masses of relations locally. And we know, spiritually speaking, who we are related to. If we trust in Jesus, we have this wonderful connection now with heaven. Jesus is connected with earth, but he's the son of God. He's this radical connection with heaven. It's amazing, isn't it? We know where he's from. We know where he came. We know where he is now. And we're related to him. And that sacrifice for sin that he made has been paid for us. And it was acceptable before his father. And now that he is raised and alive forever, we have no need to fear. No need to fear that Jesus will pass on his priesthood to someone else. We've no need to fear that Jesus will hand that responsibility on to someone else. He is our high priest forever. He has an indestructible life, we've read in Hebrews 7. We've no need to fear that a younger, less experienced priest will come and take over and learn the ropes. Jesus is a permanent saviour. You know, there's something... By way of illustration and lesson for us that we have been trying to work out in our own hearts and minds these months that is right here and grounds us because none of us are sure what happens next. When will schools be back? What time does the bank open these days? I don't know. How long will these restrictions be in place? Do you think we'll be back in church before Easter? When can I get my hair cut? What day is it anyway? When's it all going to get back to normal? Let me tell you that politicians and preachers and scientists and schools and journalists, no one knows. It's pure speculation. Nothing's certain. Except this we have an unchanging high priest. He takes all the worries. We have a man, as David described last week, on the inside. And all those fears are met in him. This timeless continuity is an incredible blessing to us as it guarantees that throughout our life, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. To quote another Hebrews verse, His grace still stands. His invitation is still there. His mercy is as fresh today as that moment when He was born as a baby in Bethlehem or that moment when He died on the cross at Golgotha or Easter Sunday morning when He rose gloriously from the tomb. We have the same God-man, and he's there for us, unchanged and unchanging, the permanent Savior. Secondly, Jesus is a complete Savior. Jesus is a complete Savior. Look at verse 25. Therefore, he, that is Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. We read in verse 25 that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. There's a lot of chat amongst the best commentators and preachers and across various Bible translations as to how this actually should read. The new King James captures it like this. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Whilst the message paraphrases it like this, Jesus is there from now to eternity to save everyone who comes to God through him all conveying the absolute completeness of God's saving work for us in Jesus. There is nothing left undone in the work of Jesus that leaves us wondering, can I trust him? We look at verse 26, that such a high priest truly meets our needs, for he's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. Verse 27, he's unlike the priest before him. He did not need to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. Rather, he sacrificed for our sins once and for all. You know, we all tend to have one small pocket of our lives where we have difficulty believing the depths that God can reach into. We wonder if God can really understand our mess or our personal pain. And if truth be told, we don't fully believe that God loves us and Christ's grace can go deep enough or spread far enough. And when it comes to our sins, we say we're totally forgiven and we sincerely believe our sins are forgiven, or pretty much anyway. But there's always that dark part of us, even in our present lives, so ugly and beyond recovery, so we feel but read a word like to the uttermost. But that's God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch, reaching down into the darkest crevices of our souls. Those places where we either are most ashamed or feel most defeated. More than this, those crevices of sin are themselves the places where Christ willingly goes. His heart almost strongly draws him there. He saves to the uttermost, to the places that we think are impossible to reach or change. Listen, he knows. Let me just be really brief. He knows exactly what you're like today. I don't, but he does. He knows exactly what you're like. He knows exactly what you're hiding. His heart is drawn out to the uttermost. And so we cannot sin or doubt or despair our way out of his tender care whoever we are whatever we've done no matter how recent or historical lying jealousy internet pornography addictions dishonest in business stealings not truthful at work downright lazy or absolute workaholic greedy for more careless with little treating your wife abysmally frustrating your family constantly grumbling gossiping recent or historical or whether it be your own struggles at this moment, cancer or dementia, COVID or concerns, anxious or angry, finance or family, Christ can save completely and eternally. The devil wants us to feel beaten and condemned. He loves us to think, oh, you've blown it again, haven't you? There's no way back for you this time. He loves us to think that. Because for him, a good day, the devil is dragging us down pulling at that permanent grey cloud of sin or sorrow over our heads as he whispers in our ears, well, that's it. No hope for you now. Or, he's let you down. He seems so far removed from you, doesn't he? And you don't deserve Jesus' love, so you might as well just forget the whole thing. Jack it in. Forget it. But what he forgets, what the devil forgets when he thinks he's winning our hearts by actually wrecking our souls as this, he's whispering to us, you don't deserve Jesus' love. But you know what? In that moment, he's absolutely right. Because the devil has got it right. Jesus gives us what we don't deserve and continues to offer us seemingly what we've never deserved. And that's what the Bible calls grace. It's a very kind of deep, comprehensive, indescribable, uncontainable salvation that is offered to us in Christ. That's what it means that he can save completely. Look at those words again in verse 25. Save completely. It's very easy to miss. But it's in the present tense. He is able to save completely. It's not something done in the past. It's something that he continues to do right now. He is able to save completely. Jesus saves us not just in that moment of initial commitment, but moment by moment throughout all of time. In fact, I feel a great relief when I read this because this is acknowledging that I continue to sin. But even in heaven itself, we will only be there forever because Jesus is there forever. It is not as if Jesus' heart for us stopped beating the moment he reached heaven. He has not settled down to heavenly indifference or long-term retirement in heaven. He is just as drawn to sufferers and sinners and strugglers as he was when he walked this earth. But here's the thing, and I love this. Jesus doesn't just help. Jesus saves. That word, complete, he's a complete saviour, carries so much more weight we're ever left to wonder at. For the Greek word behind this phrase literally means, and this is why commentators don't know how to translate it, literally means something like an exhaustive wholeness. An exhaustive wholeness. In other words, there are riches there in just a few words that will never be mine completely. In his purity, Jesus' one death replaced the billions of animal carcasses that were sacrificed in the Old Testament and the death of billions of people across all time in the guilt of their sin before God. That's what Jesus' one death replaced. All those animal sacrifices, but also it replaced the death that we deserved. But also in his infinity, this Jesus who created everything, all the 100,000 million stars of this galaxy, that are part of the 100,000 million galaxies that have many more stars out there. Try and put these together in your mind. When he hitched, I'll use that word wisely, but when he hitched his infinity of power and infinite purity of God as he is to mankind when he was born and was known as Jesus, when he became man, when he hitched the two together, when his sacrifice for sin became sufficient, And so in his permanent and complete priesthood for us, it means it lasts forever. We are infinitely and eternally connected to a Savior from sin. Verse 26 says, Such a high priest truly meets our needs. What a wonderful little word. He truly meets our needs. How dare we expect to find our strength and salvation in anyone else? And yet every day, we try. We try to make our families our places of salvation. But I say lovingly, our families will die and disappoint and let us down. Oh, we make our health our salvation, you know. I so often hear people say, oh, you know, your health's your wealth. No, it's not. Jesus is our only wealth. Health will fail. And our riches, our riches one day will all be left behind. Someone reminded me last week, you know, there's no tow bar in a hearse. And in our homes, in 50 years, those homes that we live in will either be demolished or they'll look like 50-year-old homes. And our achievements in 15 years' time, let me say this lovingly and reverently, and I'm not discouraging you from doing any study, boys and girls, but in 15 years' time, no one will ask you what you got in your A-levels. And in our reputation, in 70 years' time in Macerfell, people will say, sorry, David who, who? It's the same for you. You'll be long forgotten. But in 100 years' time, Where will you be? Answer that question in your heart just now before God. In 100 years' time, where will you be? Because you'll be here. You'll either be enjoying the wholeness of the complete Savior, or you will be eternally regretting the undeserved grace that He extended we have a complete saviour. And finally, Jesus is an active saviour. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, we read a similar verse to the one that's recorded here in Hebrews 7. In Romans 8, 34, it reads, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is always interceding for us. So what is Jesus doing right now? well the answer from hebrews seven twenty-five and romans 8 verse 34 is that he is interceding for us but what is intercession well it's when a third party takes up the case of another <clears throat> let me put it in terms that even the boys and girls at home will understand imagine a boy in class who's been accused by his teacher of something he didn't do and he's able to prove his innocence to his mum. who makes an appointment with the teacher to set the record straight and set things out Mum intercedes. Mum steps in and speaks up for her son before the teacher. And Jesus also intercedes for us. He is active in his intercession for us because before his Father in heaven, he is an active Savior. He's speaking on our behalf. Now, some of us might become a little concerned at this point, because it might lead some of us who are really thinking this morning to ask, was Jesus' work on the cross not enough to save us? Why does he need to keep speaking on my behalf even now? Was something lacking in that work that means that Jesus has to keep speaking up for us right now? No. Far from it, let me explain. Our faith in the cross of Christ and the risen Christ enables God to declare us not guilty, forgiven, justified, freed, sins atoned for, guilt swept away. But what Jesus does in the present, listen to this carefully, what Jesus does in the present is talk to his Father about what he's already accomplished in the past. Jesus' intercession is his ongoing conversation in heaven for us now, the ongoing application of what he accomplished for us here on earth. Yet again, it's the ongoing application of what he accomplished for us here on earth. For those of you who are glued to your phones most of the time, or think of getting updates by tapping a button, or pulling down at the top of those little screens, Jesus' intercession is a little bit like constantly hitting the refresh button of our justification in heaven every moment of every single day every second Jesus continues to hit the refresh button on our behalf it reminds us how powerfully personal our rescue actually is but sadly we have made our faith too much into a formula you know, to be saved you believe in Jesus' death for our sins and his resurrection for our justification which is absolutely right and we repeat it part fashion though And we end up turning our faith into just a mechanical formula. You do this and you'll be all right. So that if we just hit the right buttons as described in the instruction manual that we call the Bible and you believe the right things, then we receive our ticket to heaven, a life insurance policy against hell, and aha, that's it, it's all done. But that robs faith of its uniquely personal nature. Jesus Christ was born among us. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life instead of us. Jesus died for us. Christ rose again to bring us eternal hope. Christ ascended to heaven for us, from where he now intercedes for us. Do you hear it? There's a connection. It's unique, it's personal. It's him for us. The same heart that brought him from heaven to earth, that took him to Calvary, is the same heart that now pleads. For us in heaven. Folks, that does not mean that the Father is cold and that Jesus is desperately trying to persuade him to be gracious towards us. No. The emphasis here is on the Son's warmth. The Son's heart. And God the Father's deepest delight is always to say yes to his Son. And in turn, as the Father sees his Son and the Father hears his Son pray, the Father sees and delights in us and the Father hears his Son's prayers and delights in our prayers as a result. We are so incredibly connected and bound up with Jesus as his people that his prayers become our prayers, just like his death was instead of our death. His rising again is for our rising again. His prayers become our prayers. Think of an older brother cheering on his wee brother in school sports day. And even if the wee brother is he's miles ahead in that final straight, The big brother does not stop hollering his praise. He is not content to sit and be quiet. But at the top of his lungs comes exclamations of encouragement and celebration and victory because there's a solidarity. He cannot be quiet and down. And so it is with Jesus, our elder brother. He cannot be quiet and down on our behalf in heaven. Part of this great, wonderful deal of justification by faith alone, trusting in Christ alone, is that Jesus not only gives us what we do not deserve, but nothing pleases Him better than to give away what belongs to Him, to share in the privileges of sonship. Jesus' deepest desire is to pour out His heart on our behalf before his Father in heaven. The intercession of Jesus is his heart connecting our hearts with God the Father's heart. And you see, we need Jesus to be active in doing this, for we remain sinners. Yes, saved, but sinners. Moment by moment, Jesus turns his Father's eyes from our sin to his righteousness to look at his purity, to look at his perfection. And that's the blessed realism of the Bible right in front of us here and now. We continue to feel him on earth, but Jesus continues to represent us in heaven. And Jesus does this not just because he represents man, but because he is man, and he will be forever. For Jesus has not lost any of his human nature. He is God in human flesh, now glorified and sitting on the throne of heaven. We have a man there who knows us and saves us and speaks for us. I love the story of the man who told his toddler son to go out and pick some flowers from the garden for his mother's birthday. And so the little lad goes out and comes back with just a heap of colors And handfuls of dirt. Yes, some flowers and petals, but also amongst the weeds, the thistles, and the soil. But before his wife comes home, he sorts the weeds from the flowers, the color from the nettles, he cleans up the dirt, and he rearranges it into a lovely little bouquet and re-presents it to his wife on the boy's behalf. He turns something mucky and ugly and makes something beautiful from it. And there is the illustration of what Jesus does with us and our attempted communication with heaven. He sorts out our sin and our weeds, our thorns and our mess that we present before him and he perfects it and brings it before his Father. And because we come to God through his Son, we are then warmly accepted and lovingly received. Folks, Jesus never disengages from us. He is never out of office. Our prayer life stinks most of the time, but he is praying for us even when we are not. So let me leave this thought with you. I read it during the week, and I can't get it out of my mind. Imagine, imagine you could hear Jesus praying for you in the next room. Think about that moment. Imagine you could hear Jesus praying for you in the next room. Imagine you could hear him using your name, praying for your needs, asking for your protection, pleading for strength and temptation, comfort and sorrow, hope in all your heartaches. Imagine you could hear him just next door and he's praying and he's speaking about you. Imagine you can overhear Jesus praying for you. Few things in life would calm us more deeply than that. And yet, that is what he's doing right now. So how could these blessed realities not drive us closer to Him? How could we not come to such a Savior? Our sinning and suffering goes far, but His saving and suffering goes further because He always lives to intercede for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we come knowing that these prayers are totally inadequate because some of us are half awake, others are distracted, and all of us are sinful. And so we come in the name of Jesus, our great high priest, who bears our name and carries our nature before you. And we can hear him now rearranging the flowers that we have picked, straightening out what we say, the muck and the mess, and he makes it acceptable to you. Oh, what joy to know that our prayers are always good because they are perfected by the Son of God. And so we come confessing our weakness, we lay before you our fears, we give to you our struggles, and we repent of our sin. Whilst praising you for your permanence, your completeness, your utterness, your exhaustive wholeness as an active and interceding Savior. Thank you that you look on Jesus, but we are pardoned. And Lord, today we plead for our world. We cry out for our land. In all our wealth and riches, we are poor in spirit. With all that we have, we ache for more. Lord, we have not trusted in you as we should. We have not praised you as you deserve. We have thought so little about you. We have fallen short of your glory. And as believers, we have failed to believe and serve. Lord, this land has sinned against you. We're in a society where we have neglected the poor. We've closed our hearts to the addicts. We've carried on without hearing the cry of the vulnerable the unborn baby or confused or concerned pregnant mother. We have condemned sin without doing much to reach out to the sinner. We have thought so much about ourselves. We have prayed or concerned ourselves so little about the needs of others. Lord, we have been poor intercessors, but we ask that you would continue to take our broken lives and reshape them, our broken hearts and remake them, our shattered dreams and replace them and our weary lives and renew us. Lord, let us stop for a moment and hear you praying for us. Hearing our names, perfected by our Savior, actively working for us. Lord, our sinning and suffering goes far, but your saving and suffering for us has gone much further because you always to intercede for us and for that Lord Jesus we are eternally